What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Dr. Leon Hinge, where we talk about all things related to skincare and beyond health, relationship advice, all things. And we're going to jump right in today, and we're going to be talking about retinol alternatives. It seems as if every article needs to lead with, this is your alternative to retinol, or is this better to retinol, or is this the new retinol? How about retinol is the retinol? (laughs) It's like Botox is the Botox. That's it. Oh, that's a good point. So there's another thing, right? Where everyone's like, this is like Botox or Botox-like effect. And it's like, no, Botox is Botox. Unless you're Juvo. Unless you're Juvo. Yeah. Oh, there's so much behind that. (laughs) There's so much dirt there. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, you know, Botox is a neuromodulator that's injected in the muscle and it basically stops muscular contractions. There are competitors that are also injectables like Juvo, like Dysport, but Juvo was actually sued by Botox found uh, creator Allergan or AbbVie um, for basically infringing upon their patent. And so unless you're Juvo um, and you <laughs> infringe on patents, then uh, then you're not Botox ultimately is what we're saying. So all these ingredients that claim to be like Botox um, are not really like that. Though I would say Argyrolene would be the ingredient that's closest to that. Right. And I was really high on Argyrolene. Well, so Argyrolene is another topical. We're getting in the weeds, but let's go there. So Argyrolene is a topical that is actually modeled after kind of the whole complex to target the whole same complex that Botox is. It's topical, looked really promising in studies. I was hyped. It's a very inexpensive ingredient. The products are inexpensive. How well does it work in the real world? It's modest. It's just one of those things. It doesn't seem to be nearly as effective at decreasing muscle weakness. It has other benefits as well. So I still think that ingredient stays. Um, I think it's a good Botox additional, but it certainly did not succeed at replacing Botox. Right. I think it can be added to your skincare routine um, to supplement your other ingredients that are doing other things, right? So like when you're looking at anti-aging, you know, speaking of retinol, retinol acts on the retinoic acid receptor. It increases collagen production, increases hyaluronic acid production, thickens the skin. So it acts on these receptors to have an actual effect on the skin, but it's not affecting muscle contraction, right? So argyrolene plus retinol, they work by different mechanisms to to fight off the signs of aging and so can be used together. So I, I look at it as like not going to be leading your skincare routine, but certainly could be an alternative to your already existing, well-thought-out skincare routine to fight aging. Right. And now, like Dr. Shaw said, retinol covers so many bases for photoaging, if not all of the bases. So why would you even want an alternative? I mean, so it could be irritating. It can't be used in pregnancy. It can be broken down by the sun. And I feel like that's almost all that's against it. The efficacy, you may be able to increase it with prescription ingredients, but that's that's questionable too. There's a little debate about that. But if we're looking for a retinol alternative, let's run through this list and see which ones are good, which ones are bad. What's the new latest and greatest option? Yeah. So you tell me, I'll list them. You tell me if you think that they're the retinol alternative or not. All right, let's do it. Okay. According to this article, here are the best retinol alternatives. Move over retinol, it says. Bacuchio. What are your thoughts? This is, um, this one has a decent amount of studies. So does it do the same thing as retinol? It's thought to have a lot of the same clinical benefits. It's thought to work in a different way, but have kind of a similar endpoint, both on a cellular level and then clinically as well. 
this one is also thought to be safe in pregnancy. I feel like I'm saying this is thought to do this. It probably does this. It does that. And the pregnancy thing is kind of the uh, prime example of this ingredient. There's no real studies on pregnancy. It's just thought to be safe in pregnancy. Uh, I do believe it is a an acceptable alternative to Botox. I think it can have similar benefit or Botox. Oh my gosh, I'm still where we were. It's thought to have similar benefits to retinol. I think it actually does have similar benefits to retinol in the real world. I think it's a good alternative, um, but it's like, why? This is another one though. Why not use both? Why not like Argerlene? You can use both of these together. They don't quite work the same way. I don't think it would substitute for retinol entirely. I don't think the evidence is there. My personal opinion is that it's probably not quite as effective, but for someone who can't tolerate retinol from irritation or from being pregnant, I, I think this is actually a pretty good substitute. Yeah, I think I, I completely agree with that. It's... It has, it's interesting when people compare everything to retinol, it almost makes it as if retinol is the gold standard, which I think is true. But I still think that people will hype out up these other ingredients and say they are retinol-like and then choose that over retinol, which to me is interesting because if you're comparing it to retinol, then you're admitting that retinol is the gold standard for an anti-aging treatment, right? Yeah. And Bakuchiol saying that it is safe in pregnancy is is basically saying that it hasn't been shown to not be safe in pregnancy, essentially, because they've never tested it in pregnancy. Right. Right. So I mistakenly have made I've made that mistake myself saying that, you know, Bakuchiol is safe in pregnancy while retinol is not safe in pregnancy. Is that we know that retinol can, if you had high levels of absorption of retinol into the body, have embryotoxic effects in pregnancy, whereas we don't know about Bakuchiol. And so due to our lack of knowledge on the subject, we say that Bakuchiol is safe in pregnancy, but we can't say for sure that it's safe in pregnancy, like something like azelaic acid, which has been tested in pregnancy, is safe in pregnancy. Yeah. I think that that's a fair... A super fair. And that's a common theme we're going to keep coming across too is that uh, the safe in pregnancy thing we will do a dedicated talk we'll definitely do a dedicated video on this because that's going to be the uh, i think the future of this thing going forward is that things are not studied now in pregnancy which is you know reasonable so most things are kind of like assumed especially newer things like is it safe in pregnancy is it not who knows probably for things like peptides bakuchiol niacinamide vitamin c etc right so, all right, so we're saying Bakuchiol has retinol-like benefits to the skin, but is certainly not the same as retinol. And it doesn't act on the retinoic acid receptors. So it doesn't even have the same mechanism as retinol does. So then the next one they have is rosehip oil. What are your thoughts on rosehip oil? Oh, that's so interesting. I haven't heard about rosehip oil in so long. This is a, this is a 2020 ingredient 2020 ingredient so rosehip oil is i I used to love skin oils i kind of still do we used to talk about it this one's high in linolenic acid uh linoleic acid sorry which we know can be good for the skin bearer they're supposed to be in like a minuscule if i remember right there's supposed to be a minuscule amount of actually retinol in this um i can actually find this out i've deep studied this extensively that's um, correct. Yeah. Natural tretinoin. Mm-hmm. It has some retinoic Concentration acid. Concentration varies with extraction. Mm-hmm. Found to be as high as 0. 0.0357 milligrams per liter or as point or 0.00357. So basically it has a minuscule amount of a tretinoin or retinoic acid. The the question then is like, okay, so if you're going to use this as a retinoic acid or as a retinoid, 
and you're going to be extracting it, like you're basically just using and creating a synthetic retinoid anyway. You're, you're, you, to get this to be effective like a retinoid, I think you have to extract it and create a retinoid out of it personally. So I don't think you're going to get a retinol-like effect from it. I think I do think it's a great oil. I think it's a great oil for your skin for multiple reasons. But if you're looking for this to replace that retinol, I don't think it delivers just as a standalone plant oil. Acetyl glucosamine. Ooh, you got one I don't know much about. So, you know, actually what's really interesting about N-acetyl glucosamine or acetyl glucosamine in general um, I think this technology was pioneered by Neostrata, the skincare brand. It's owned by J&J, so it's under the same umbrella as Neutrogena. So you'll see N-acetylglucosamine in a lot of Neutrogena products, but that's because they were acquired by the same company that Neostrata was acquired by. But the interesting thing about N-acetylglucosamine to me is that it probably is functionally the most similar to retinol and its benefits to the skin. It's been shown to increase hyaluronic acid production. It's been shown to increase collagen production. It's been shown to uh, sort of have exfoliating benefits on the skin. It also has been shown to help with pigmentation. Um, so a lot of the things that that retinol is doing to say a, an ingredient is retinol like to me means that it needs to it needs to function similarly to retinol and the benefits of the skin, which is increased collagen production, increased hyaluronic acid production, thickening of the skin, minor exfoliating or like increased cell turnover. And also tyrosinase blockage, right? The help. The reason why you know it helps in photoaging more than just increasing collagen and wrinkle formation is it actually helps with the pigmentation and uneven skin tone that does, which is a major contributor to the appearance of the aging face. And so retinol has those benefits as well. And actually, actually, acetyl glucosamine has been shown to actually hit many of many of those things. And so, in its benefits, actually, I think acetyl glucosamine is probably one of the more underrated ingredients in skincare yeah maybe we'll see a lot more of that i've really i feel like i never see it highlighted in an ingredient list because the thing i had bookmarked for that ingredient was just now it's highlighted <laughs> now we're going to see a lot more just like niacinamide was moved but uh yeah no i think that's what about niacinamide moving in niacinamide what do you think about that as yeah. a retinol alternative if you look at the list of benefits with niacinamide, it not only looks like a retinol alternative, it actually looks like a retinol superior in my opinion, because it has benefits like increasing ceramide production, decreasing transepidermal water loss in studies with eczema that retinol doesn't bring to mm. the table. My knock on niacinamide is always not the lack of benefits, it's because it also helps with pigmentation, acne, collagen, elasticity, saline skin, photoaging, as an antioxidant to reprodu reproduce NADPH, kind of similar to um, some other ingredients out there. But it's that uh, the effectiveness. I believe that niacinamide has a low ceiling. I think it's a supporting ingredient at heart and will always be. So uh, I don't think it's, I think it's like a perfect complement for that retinol. I think it is a suitable alternative again for that person who can't use retinol, but I would not expect the world of it at any point. Yeah, there's, um, there's definitely a ceiling for it. And I actually like niacinamide plus retinol together i think that they're awesome complementing ingredients oh, yeah. and you can also use like niacinamide plus bakuchiol why not right so i actually think that skincare and we kind of mentioned this when we talked about ozempic face about how like to reverse ozempic face or the face the, the the weight loss that occurs in the face when you lose weight rapidly and how that leads to you know this sort of loss of elasticity in the skin um, and extra skin folds and all this kind of stuff, how we would treat that by 
using multiple modalities to treat it. So it's not just one thing. And I think that skincare is sort of the same thing there. Everyone's looking for the Occam's razor ingredient to do everything, but it's mm-hmm. really the combination. It's the routine. The magic is in the routine or in the compliment, like the, the stacking of ingredients that can target multiple things to improve the skin. So it's not like you have to rest on one ingredient really. And I think that there is a move right in the skin, skinimalism world Hmm. away from these single ingredient products to, even if you're going to use single ingredient products, like stacking them to achieve the best benefit on the skin, I think has become much more popular than just focusing on one product or one ingredient as the skincare market has become more mature over the last few years. And the, the users that were the adopters of the ordinary and the inky list early on are now looking for more, um, streamlined routines yeah absolutely so moving on to the next subject here let's talk about lip plumping Mm. here really quickly because (laughs) we talked about lip plumping in a video and if you want to learn more about lip plumping you can watch our full youtube video on the subject but there is a trending article right now and the purpose of this podcast is also to stay as topical as possible but BuzzFeed article on Aquaphor causing lip plumping. Um, the reason why I bring this up is because it's also sunburn season right now, and we would be remiss as dermatologists not to bring up the risk of sunburn. But basically, this BuzzFeed article is saying, people on TikTok are warning others not to wear Aquaphor in the sun. We ask experts if lip sunburns are a thing. And basically, the couple videos that I've seen on TikTok, and there are more than one, is basically people saying, don't go out in the sun if you're wearing Aquaphor on your lips, because it will cause your lips to swell up massively. And we're seeing videos of this. And and then peel a few days after that, they said. Um, so why are people getting sunburns on their lips when they're using Aquaphor? And should people be wearing an SPF on their lips? That's a follow-up question. What are your thoughts? So the first part of that is actually the, the question the article posed, and that's, can you get a sunburn on your lips? The answer to that is yes, absolutely. If you've ever, you know who gets this a lot is actually snowboarders and skiers. Uh, I see this more with them than I do the surfers. Um, and yes, so absolutely you can. Should you be wearing sunscreen on your lips? You should, I think, especially if you're going to be outside for a long period, that that whole outdoors 10 and 2 active person, you should really be cognizant of that because I would do a lot of surgeries on lips. They're very extensive. I see it in them being very aggressive. Squamous cell carcinomas on the lips actually have a high, more high risk of metastasis as well. So yes, protect your lips. And then the last part of this tying it all together, well, like we, we've, we've talked about Aquaphor before, and I think in the setting of lips, when we've talked about dry lips mm-hmm. and is it a good chapstick? I think it is. It has a high petrolatum concentration. It is pretty nourishing. People used it po- use it. I don't, but p- other people, other surgeons I know do use it postoperatively for wound care because there's not a whole lot of ingredients. The only ingredient that I've known that has a p- the potential to be problematic in it is the the lanolin. And I know that's some there's some controversy with that too, but that's the only ingredient I was on the fence about. Overall, I think it's a good product, good chapstick. Can it cause sunburns on the lips? Why would that be? Yeah, so I want to dive into this a little bit here, actually. So first, a spokesperson for Aquaphor told BuzzFeed News about the brand's thought on this TikTok trend. They said, (laughs) we only encourage usage of Aquaphor as directed on the label and for its main purpose, 
which is to hydrate the lips and provide long-lasting moisture. People who are following TikTok trends and applying Aquaphor in an unimproved way should not do so. So (laughs) what I want to say about this is that the regular Aquaphor that you're describing, which is generally safe for people, fragrance-free product, has an ingredient called lanolin that can cause allergic reactions. And we debated this on our last podcast and we discussed allergen of the year, which was in fact, was in fact lanolin. So, so lanolin was the allergen of the year, but why, why is there a difference between going out in the sun and wearing aquaphor and wearing aquaphor just in your home? Like why are they only getting this reaction in the sun? And I would propose, and I can't confirm what everyone in this video did, but aquaphor specifically has a lip product that is actually a lip sunscreen, Aquaphor Lip Repair Sunscreen. And this lip sunscreen contains an ingredient called oxybenzone, which is a sunscreen ingredient. It's on the FDA monograph for sunscreen, right? So oxybenzone, well-known sunscreen ingredient, is being removed actually from most sunscreen products because they faced backlash for for many reasons beyond what I'm going to talk about right now. But the most compelling reason not to use oxybenzone in your sunscreen is that it's actually the most common photoallergen in skincare products. A photoallergen is basically when an ingredient becomes allergic when exposed to the sun. So oxybenzone as a sunscreen ingredient To me, this seems like the worst idea possible is that you have a sunscreen filter that is a a risk of a photoallergen. So this is a product that's specifically made to be used in the sun, but is the highest risk ingredient for photoallergic reactions. To me, that's a compelling reason not to use oxybenzone. Forget every other reason that you hear out there. (laughs) So this ingredient from the lip repair ingredient from Aquaphor contains oxybenzone in it. So if I had to suspect why these people are suddenly getting their lips exploding and then getting peeling and itchiness on the lips, it's because of the oxybenzone and not because of the underlying base of aquaphor that's in your traditional aquaphor repair ointment. Nice. That is amazing. I love it. I love it. So I don't know. That, there's your. That's a quick, quiet, deep dive that he needs to throw. A sh- if we had animations on this, that he have a Sherlock hat on, <laughs> and I would be his I'm little, sleuth, his little Watson. I'm a skincare sleuth. All right, let's talk about lip. Let's let's let's. Okay, so so basically, yes, don't wear this. Don't don't actually buy this product. I'm at, I'm not like it's been a long time since I've told people not to purchase a product, but don't buy this lip SPF from Aquaphor. This is not the best product you should be using to protect your lips in the sun. Um. There are other lip SPFs out there. Do you have any preferred ones, Dr. Maxfield? The problem I have with, so yes and no. Elta MD has a lip SPF. Let me just make sure there's not actually benzone in this. I'm pretty positive there's not. They're very conscious. Um, the, the kicker I have with most lip balms and even lip SPFs is that they still have this propensity to put in camphor and like menthol. And like it drives me nuts because it really aggravates a lot of perioral conditions like perioral dermatitis. Um, but typically, yeah, LTMD lip balm is the one that I usually would recommend. Yeah, they don't. Um, it's just octanoxate and zinc. I find that they can be like a little casty. You know how like sometimes your lips look chapped, like yeah. where you get like, you get that like residue on the lip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I find that lip sunscreens tend to do that, which can be a little bit frustrating. Um, I believe that Supergoop has a pure chemical sunscreen that is um that's also pretty good 
There's a few others out there. I've definitely tried the Elta MD one. Um, I liked it quite a bit, but it was a little, it did leave a little bit of a white cast because of the zinc. Paula's Choice also has one that's pretty affordable. I think it's like 10 bucks. It's a lip mm. SPF um, that I've tried that I also liked. Um, I liked quite a bit too. I wonder for the people who are concerned about chemical sunscreens, which I'm not one of those people um, that's concerned about every ingredient except for oxybenzone, which I've clearly highlighted here today. Um, but the but for other for for lip SPFs, if you're worried about absorption through the skin transdermally, are you worried about a chemical sunscreen on the lip even more than? Oh yeah, you have to be. You absorb everything from mucosa. That's the highest absorption on the body. Some say the scrotum. That's also like competing for top spot. But the um, mucosa lip. Are they in a competition that we we need to? We, we don't know. Is that. there a, a scrotum versus lip <laughs> we need to competition? This debate. That, uh, the thinnest skin on the body. Remember that debate we had for the longest time? Is the scrotum or the that. under eye the thinnest skin on the body? And we had like a two hour debate on this when we were in residency. <laughs> um. Never, never settled. We still haven't settled never yet. Settled. I just need a biopsy of your scrotum and then we can solve this problem once <laughs> and for all. Um, he won't give it to me. So, all right. So I think that we have a good conclusion here. One, avoid the Aquaphor lip repair sunscreen on the lips. That's number one. Number two, if you're going out in the sun during sunburn season, you should be wearing an SPF on your lips. Find one that you like. The one from Alta MD is nice. Does it leave a little bit of a white cast? The one from Supergoop is a pure chemical sunscreen, no white cast. Um, but if you're concerned about chemical sunscreens, which I'm not, um, you could try that one out. Um, so that's that's my final stance. You could put, so you could just put your sunscreen on your lips. Like, is there any reason you just can't put sunscreen on your lips? You could. Now, yeah, you could. the you question could. is, Is do you ingest it? Yeah, you why just not? Just take your favorite sunscreen and put it on your lips. Why not? That's that's kind of reasonable. Life hack. <laughs> the hacks you wish you knew. But, you know, vehicle-wise, would you then apply your normal, like, let's say that you're using Vaseline. I have my little mini tub of Vaseline, which, by the way, they should, I think they do sell mm -hmm. these. Um, I love them. So, you take these yeah, little mini do. tubs of Vaseline. You apply it to your lips. Then you take your sunscreen and then you apply your sunscreen over that. And I'm calling that hack the SPF lip basting hack. You heard it here first. I like it. I love the hack. You heard it here I'm first. And if you, you see it in the um, Wall Street Journal, just know that it started on Dr. Lee Unhinged. <laughs> um, all right. It's good. So, that will also decrease absorption for those of you who are worried. Ooh, there we good. go. And it's functional. All right, so next up, because we're venturing a little bit outside of just like skincare specifically and getting into the business side of, of skincare, which is actually a, a very fascinating topic to me and is a personal passion of mine. And since it's a personal passion of mine, you will all now be subjected to it. <laughs> so Aesop, a skincare <laughs> brand, a skincare beauty body hand skincare brand was recently acquired by L'Oreal in its biggest acquisition ever for 2.5 billion US dollars. Do you know anything about Aesop, Dr. Maxfield? No, which is the craziest thing because to be worth that much, right? To be a newer brand, to be worth that much, I would think you would have to be exceptional. You'd have to have a huge share of the market. I feel like I'm fairly well-versed 
in skincare, I've tried thousands of products. I spend a huge portion of my, my free time just looking at skincare. And I don't know about this brand. Um, to my detriment, I'm sure, but tell me about well, it. Well, I mean, I don't think it's to your detriment. I think it serves a different type of niche than we're familiar with. You know, we're obviously very familiar with the dermal cosmetic space. We're very familiar with active ingredients. This is more of a lifestyle brand. So Aesop, the, the largest part of their portfolio is actually like hand and body. So they're hand soaps, hand moisturizers are their biggest category. So they have these very fragrant um, products that come in this very specific brown packaging with a black and white label on it. So it's very distinguished. You see a lot at like high-end hotels. You see it a lot at high-end spas. And you see it in people who like to spend 30 to $40 on hand soap. So that's not the niche you live in, Dr. Maxfield. You, I know because I've been sure to your house, isn't. are in the, <laughs> you buy like the Walmart brand of hand soap. So you're not in the bulk. target customer for Aesop. And that's why you don't know what Aesop is. And I'm also, to be clear to the, to the listener, I'm also not in the target. I am also not the target customer. And in case anyone thinks I'm the bougie one, I am also not the target customer of Aesop, um, to be clear. Um, but they were acquired for $2.5 billion, which just shows how quickly the categories like the body category, the hand category, the hair category, mm. the face categories are growing so quickly. And this adds to a, a, a spree of acquisitions by L'Oreal in general. So for those of you who don't know what the skincare community looks like from a bird's eye view, L'Oreal pretty much owns everything. Uh, so L'Oreal, to give you an idea of what kind of brands are, they have a division called um, LDB, um, which is their... Uh, their L'Oreal Dermatologic Beauty Division, which houses SkinCeuticals, Skin Better Science, which was a recent acquisition, La Roche-Posay, CeraVe, and then you have their Lux Division, which has Kiehl's, which just recently acquired Aesop. You have their Consumer Division, which is like L'Oreal Paris, um, and you know the list goes on and on and on and on. These are all under the L'Oreal umbrella, and so. This Aesop acquisition to me is interesting, and I think it was it was I don't know you know based on the financials of the deal, I think they were doing over five hundred million dollars in revenue, which is a massive number. Um, how it will do financially as it expands into new international markets with a strategic like L'Oreal, but it just shows you that despite the fact that right now you're seeing in the skincare, just in in general in the finance markets, you're seeing tighter purse strings because the, the interest rates have gone up so much that you're still seeing these big acquisitions in the skincare space. And so brands like L'Oreal as a strategic is still seeing tremendous upside in the skincare space and are still continuing to bet on that, bet big on that on brands like Aesop. And it just shows me the interesting thing to me about this whole Aesop acquisition, which is similar to me as the Tula acquisition is that these are brands that actually don't show up very often on Dr. Maxfield and ours radar, um, but still hold a large portion of the skincare market. And so it's interesting that despite the education on products that's occurred over the last three years that has shifted growth in the entire skincare market in general, there are still huge penetrants of these brands that are not necessarily 
science-based skincare brands or or skincare brands that are rooted in efficacy which just shows that like we Hmm. think we're talking to everybody but we're actually not talking to everybody and there are there's a huge space for the fragrant skincare world that we some some in some ways neglect through our content we that's such an interesting point you know what i've noticed too in some of the things we've talked about and shot lately i I think you're becoming more open-minded into the no not no well yeah no maybe both i don't know to the experiential side of skin you've always been really good about dedicating this product is for this experiential skincare this is for the treat yourself skincare routine um and but maybe we need to dedicate maybe we need to just dedicate the best experiential experiential skincare maybe that should be the thing is just dedicate some time because people who are investing a lot of money into these products like the person who's buying these products or the person who's really going out looking for the bougie uh fragrant this and that and this and that they probably still deserve to know what's working for them and what's not like they probably still in their heart of hearts want a product that works um and so maybe we should just disregard the fragrance disregard the limonene and everything else and just say okay this product may be 200 dollars. it may be fragrance to the moon um but is it is it doing anything for you yeah no i think that there's <laughs> they need help. there's a space to have the conversation i think it needs to come with a lot of disclaimers because the people that listen to our content or the the community that we've curated and and you guys can let us know in the comments you want to see this science-based content and you want to know what's not going to irritate your skin and cause cause allergies in the skin i will tell you that aesop soaps hand soaps smell so good right but Aren't there other influencers to communicate that message to the world? Or do we need to also have that content out there as well to tell you what the best selling smelling hand soap is? Oh, no, this is how we do it. I know how we do it. We go, Dr. Sean, Dr. Maxfield, go to the spa. It's a series. We just go like live it up at the spa. Okay. Because <laughs> there are other like brands nice like Byredo. Have you seen like Byredo stuff? Like their stuff smells so good too. Mm-mm. We could do it. The best spa, the best spa brand. That would be fun. The best of the spa brand. But we that have to put the disclaimer that these are not like really clinical brands because I think that's still why people come to oh, us. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think that pretty much wraps up a very hodgepodge episode on retinol alternatives, <laughs> lip plumping, the Aesop acquisition. If you've used the Aesop products, let us know what your experience has been with them. I like the way they smell, but they're not a clinical-based skincare brand, in my opinion. It is Rosacea Awareness Month. We want to shout out to anyone who's struggling with rosacea. We have to do a follow-up video on it. So eventually we will do a follow-up video on rosacea and some of the advancements in rosacea, which actually are pretty interesting. So stay on stay tuned for that. Um, and you know, for those of you who do have rosacea. Uh, just know that the sun is a major contributor to the upregulation of blood vessels in rosacea. And so wearing sunscreen is one of the most critical things you can do to protect your skin from worsening rosacea. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Yeah, we appreciate you all as always. Thanks for being a part of this journey and we will see you next time. See you in the next one.